The Cape Cod Climate Action Podcast Series will follow the work of the Cape Cod Commission and its community partners as we work together as one Cape to build resiliency in our region. The natural beauty, environmental resources, and historic character of Cape Cod have made the region a globally recognized destination. But what makes us unique also makes us vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. As an agency charged with protecting the unique values and quality of life on Cape Cod and balancing the quality of our shared environment and sustainable economic progress, the Cape Cod Commission recognizes the need to help build more resilient communities capable of withstanding the effects of climate change today and minimizing its impacts in the future. Welcome to episode three of the Cape Cod Climate Action Podcast series. We are talking today about adapting regional transit for climate change. The transportation system, cars, buses, boats, trains, is a critical component of our infrastructure here in Massachusetts. We rely on all modes of transit for economic development, access to goods and services, as well as social interaction and enrichment. And while the system has numerous benefits, it also contributes to over one third of the Bay State's greenhouse gas emissions, a key cause of climate change. And while actions taken to mitigate climate change may not be able to fully stop it, they can help to slow the rate of change and provide more time for the region to adapt to a changing climate and its impacts. We will explore many facets of the Cape's transportation system in this podcast series. Today, we're focused on regional transit and the Cape Cod Regional Transit Authority, which has made a number of changes and upgrades to its systems and amenities over the years to help offset its carbon footprint. Joining me on today's episode, I welcome Stephen Tupper, Cape Cod Commission Transportation Program Manager and Tom Care, Administrator of the Cape Cod Regional Transit Authority. Good morning, Stephen, Tom, and welcome to the program. Hi, Sarah. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. So let's start by talking a little bit about the data. Steve, can you talk to me a little bit about how much of a contributor to greenhouse gas emissions our transportation system is? Certainly. So the Cape Cod Commission just completed with many partners across the region a greenhouse gas inventory. Reviewing inventories across the nation, it's very clear that there are really two major sectors contributing to greenhouse gas emissions. That's stationary energy, the GHGs related to powering and heating homes, and then the transportation sector. In most inventories, stationary energy is number one, transportation number two. In the Commonwealth, about 42% of the GHGs is related to the transportation sector. And what we're finding is here on Cape Cod, it's actually significantly higher. Um, and our latest estimates is about 55% of greenhouse gas emissions from the region come from the transportation sector. So that's primarily the greenhouse gases associated with personal transportation, your drive to and from your job or other activities, and relatively small contributions from other elements of the transportation system, including public transportation, buses, ferries, planes, and all other modes of transportation. But again, most of it is that personal trip that folks are taking on a regular basis. And is that just because of the nature of the Cape, just because we have so many roads and we're a little separated and when we just, we like our cars, or is it just that that's the necessity is that you have to drive where you want to go? I think it's a couple of different things. I think, first of all, the efficiencies in terms of um, electrification and home heating have made some great strides in recent decades. And overall, transportation is not quite keeping up. And I think what you spoke to directly about our region being a little more transportation focused is certainly true. 
we're a very spread out region, so there's a lot of longer trips when people are commuting. And while there's excellent transit service, it's still a challenge given the geographies here. Um, so we're not a dense urban area like Boston where it's an obvious trip by transit for most folks. So certainly we're seeing excellent trends in terms of public transportation, but still the vast majority of trips are taken by personal automobile, and that, that's a challenge for our region. And so that really speaks to the importance of having a robust regional transit system uh, like we do, but also the challenges of creating that wide network in such a spread out space. So Tom, can you give us kind of a big picture look at the scope of the RTA system? It is a little different than a lot of regions. We have 400 square miles roughly, and we have 15 communities that we are responsible for providing transportation. And we have seven fixed route services that go into all 15 of those towns. And one of the factors that I always try to talk to my folks about is in regard to climate change is public transportation is a critical piece of addressing those issues. Even though if it's gasoline that's running the buses, you know, we're going in biodiesel or whatever the fuel is, the more people we can get out of their cars and into public transportation is a significant factor in reducing, you know, the carbon footprint and the climate change issues. We have various different types of service that we provide. We have the fixed route, which comes hourly, usually, across the Cape in all the towns. And we have a general dial-a-ride service, which a lot of regions in the Commonwealth do not have because it's expensive. But we have pockets of the Cape that are more challenging to get to and, and environmental justice areas on the Cape that we need to get transportation to. And we've got a lot of new ideas and new initiatives we're proposing. Uh, Chris Kennedy, our mobility manager, has been working on this Smart Dot app, which is going to make it even more easy to access public transportation in a matter of moments. You can get a bus to come and get you and pick you up. So we're really being aggressive in trying to deal with ways to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions because, as Steve said, I've been using the figure 40 to 45 percent, but when he said 55 percent on the Cape, that doesn't surprise me, but it's a, it's a serious matter that we take seriously in the transportation industry. And so the Cape Cod Commission has worked closely with the Cape Cod RTA for, for many years. And I want both of you to kind of, we'll start with you, Steve, to talk about the importance of this partnership. Land use planning and transportation planning are inextricably linked. So it's very important that the regional planning agency and the transit authority really work hand in hand as we plan for the future of the region. So we're certainly fortunate that Tom and his great staff at the RTA um, really think about those things when they design their system. And we meet regularly with RTA staff to talk about the future of the region. So when we're talking about which areas are going to see some significant changes in the region, it's important to think about the transportation system that accompanies that change. In some regions, you see development, and then you kind of see transit trying to catch up. Um, I like to think here with our frequent communication, uh, we're thinking about things, those things in the future. Um, and at the commission side, we've identified some of those areas that we expect to grow. Um, and the RTA has been right along with us thinking about how transit can grow in those areas to make sure that as they grow, they do in a way um, that allows for resilient communities and with an overall reduction in greenhouse gas footprints. So you really can't see growth in a responsible way without really thinking about transit. So it's important that those conversations are ongoing. Sure. And Tom, from your perspective. Yeah. As you know, Sarah, I've, I've been in this business for quite a while. And I have to say, in, in recent years with the Cape Cod Commission, it's, it's been such a, a tremendous godsend for us to have such good people over there working, led by Steve, but also, you know, Christy does a wonderful job looking over the whole Cape, but Colleen and others on Steve's staff, 
we meet with them about at least every two weeks uh, and talk about matters. And, you know, I've seen things over the years improve in so many different ways. Like there's legislation pending about the MEPA process and making sure that transit is considered before any big development takes place. And, you know, as a regional land use planning agency, I'm sure that's something the Cape Cod Commission is concerned about as well. So we're at the table a lot earlier than we had been in the past whenever big development is proposed. And we've seen that you know, pay dividends. We've moved some of our bus routes. We've moved 1.6 million trips last year across the Cape, and we've moved some of our bus routes to areas that make it more accessible. And so, yeah, the partnership has been phenomenal, and, and I rave about, you know, unfortunately, I was around. I filed the legislation that created the Cape Cod Commission, so I've been around a while. But uh, to see where it is today and the incredible work that the staff produces on a, on a daily basis is, is quite impressive. And, and as Steve said, it is inextricably linked with transit. So we look forward to continuing that partnership. And of course, much of that daily work these days uh, is focused on climate uh, and climate change, adaptation, resiliency, um, all of that. Our regional policy plan and uh, our regional transportation plan really point to some of those um, ideals and, and solutions. And I know, Tom, that you at the RTA have made some really significant changes over the past few years, both to reduce the energy used to fuel your operations uh, centers and also on the ground. So can you talk a little bit about those improvements and why was it important for you to do so? Well, you know, we do talk as the staff very regularly, senior staff on Monday, the entire staff on Wednesday, and we talk very regularly about new ideas, new initiatives, nothing is too crazy to talk about. And some time ago, we started to focus on the importance of climate change. We're participants in the Cape Cod Climate Change Collaborative, and so we're trying to pay attention to the important issues. So we undertook a, a, a very significant initiative in, in creating solar panels outside on our campus. We have an 11-acre parcel where the CCRTA resides, and we have 900 solar panels on the rooftop of 18 bus canopies out there, which was a significant reduction in our energy demand. It's a 360-kilowatt project and really aesthetically pleasing to the, to the area, and it's just been a, a really successful project on time, on budget, uh, about a million and a half to do, but we had a partnership with a, a great company, a vendor that did the work for us. And we also did that down at our operations center at you know, a little bit smaller extent, but the same initiative to uh, reduce our energy demand. And we have, a, I think it's a 208 kilowatt project down there and solar arrays on the, on the rooftops. And we also have a, a wind turbine down there that contributes to the, the reduction as well. So, so those are the uh, big things that we're doing. And the decisions that we're contemplating now that really is at the forefront is uh, whether to invest aggressively in electrical buses because the Senate President Karen Spilka asked me to sit on a, a committee, a transportation committee over the last year up in the State House and we haven't really met in person for the last few months because of the pandemic but I was on the sustainability committee and there's a lot of legislative uh, proposals that have specific time constraints as to when transit authorities have to have electric buses. And I know that Martha's Vineyard has taken the lead with their whole fleet now being electric, but we're all in, in in terms of making sure that occurs in the in the long term. But, you know, 400 square miles, and there's still some uncertainty about the charging of the batteries, and there's still some climate impacts to the to electric buses, and they're expensive. You know, it's a half a million dollars a bus. So we're all in in terms of researching and trying to make sure that we make the sound investments but we haven't really done that, haven't purchased any yet, but in our, we have a five-year capital plan and a 10-year strategic plan, and it's very much uh, prevalent in those documents as to where we would like to be. 
And the last thing I want to mention about another thing that we've done is just the, the shelters that you see across the Cape. There's 32 bus shelters. They're small and hopefully clean and aesthetically pleasing Cape Cod look looking facilities to keep people from the elements. But we've transformed over to, to making those put solar arrays on top of those just to provide the lighting with solar. So, and there's only, I think, six there. And in our vehicle purchases, we've gone to a lot of smaller, nimble, less fuel-dependent vehicles. And we have biodiesel in our Gillig's, which is our long, uh, longer 35, 40-person buses. So we're, we're considering the importance of climate change in everything that we do and every decision we make. And I'd also like to add to acknowledge the RTA as a leader in terms of personal vehicle charging. So certainly at the Hyannis Transportation Center, there's a huge number of electric vehicle charging stations. And as we're looking across regionally, that's really an important location for people that are visiting the region to be able to have that amenity to charge their personal vehicle when they come over here for vacation. I think most of the region will see charging um, for residents at their home and at their office. Um, but if we want to continue to be an attractive um, location for visitors, we have to have a robust public charging network. And I'm happy to see the RTA leading the front on that as well. Steve's picking it up for me. He's, <laughs> I forgot to mention it, but Steve, of course, as he always does, he's, 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 he's extraordinary. But we have 22 electric vehicle charging stations as a result of this project, the solar project. And that makes up 5% of our overall parking availability there. So yeah, it, it is important. And we're also working with Senator Moran on a project in Falmouth that really hasn't been discussed much publicly, but um, there's a depot there, the steamship's involved, and, and there's an effort going on to try to uh, enhance the accessibility of that parking facility at the bus station there. And, and she was successful in including in the bond bill recently uh, uh, $3.5 million, which would include a lot of EV charging stations and other things, and we've talked briefly with the steamship about it. So that's that's very much in the infant stages, but we're trying to you know, suggest the importance of that everywhere we go. And uh, talking about EV charging stations is a good way to preview a future episode of this uh, podcast. I know the commission has recently uh, put together or is continuing to work on an, an EV charging station uh, analysis, a siting analysis, to look at where uh, those sites uh, could be located here on the Cape. So stay tuned uh, for that. Um, I feel like not just um, talking about the buses and the infrastructure that you have within the RTA, but also the roadway infrastructure is something really important to think about um, when we talk about um, climate change. So can we talk a little bit about how climate-related threats to our infrastructure, our roadway infrastructure, come into play in terms of future planning for regional transit. Absolutely. So we've spoken already about how the transportation system impacts the climate, but it goes the other way as well, for sure. We're seeing significant changes in our region in terms of sea level rise and changes in precipitation patterns. And these are things that are affecting day-to-day -day decisions on transportation infrastructure. Historically, we've kind of been able to say, okay, these are changes down the road. We'll be looking at this infrastructure in another number of years. We're at the point now that we need to start making physical changes when we're investing in infrastructure. When we're talking about redoing roads and bridges, we could be, particularly the bridges, looking at 50-year design life. Things that could be up there maybe 100 years, and our region will change significantly in that period. So we're going to need to take into account some of these changes as we're investing big dollars in these infrastructure improvements. So whether that means raising roads to anticipate changes to the climate, well, that could mean upsizing some of the drainage infrastructure to handle these severe weather events that we're seeing. 
Um, and it could be a host of other changes to really make sure that as the climate is changing, that the infrastructure is ready for it. So that we're both able to respond to the changes. Um, and also going back to mitigation, making sure when we're making these infrastructures, we're thinking about future needs. So when we're talking about park and ride enhancements, um, we're going to be talking about electric vehicle charging at those as well. So both uh, looking at it from the resiliency perspective, but also building in elements that make our system um, less impactful to the greenhouse gas picture overall. We've thought a lot about you know the coastal erosion and coastal flooding and, and sea level rise and the impacts, particularly with some of our long long standing routes that are really close to the coastline. You know we have the sea line which goes from Woods Hole to Hyannis on an hourly basis, and we carried 170,000 people on that service alone last year. The H2O line from Orleans to Hyannis, as we carried 150,000 people. And then some of the flex route in the Provincetown area, Truro, Lower and Outer Cape, very vulnerable areas for these kind of uh, weather events, could impact uh, the transit operation significantly. And it would be a, a cost and efficiency and reliability concern that we have. So we do pay attention to that. And, and that's another added benefit of having such a good partnership with the planning agency. And also to add into that, certainly some of the things we're seeing are happening now. We see roads, we see beach parking falling into the ocean, and it's not always about building it, rebuilding it in a specific way. A lot of times transit is part of that solution. So it may not be having that parking lot right where you've traditionally seen it, maybe finding other ways and hopefully less GHG intensive ways to get people to enjoy those resources and certainly look forward to having transit as part of that solution as well as bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure so people can see the beauty of the Cape without necessarily taking that personal automobile all the way to the destination. And really that's such an important facet of it. I know we touched on it a little bit, but really public transportation, regional transportation as a whole is such a wonderful uh, way to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. I think for every person that rides the bus, that's one less car that's on the roads. Very good point, Sarah. And you know, we do make a very concerted effort to, to market our service, get out there and talk about the importance of taking public transportation, that it's safe, accessible. In the old days, sometimes it was, you had to take a circuitous route to get from point A to point B, but we've done a lot of wonderful things to make, including this new Smart Dart app that makes the, the trip much more efficient. You don't have to deal with gridlock uh, in your own car. So yes, public transportation is always something that needs to be mentioned in terms of reducing the greenhouse gas emissions. And I want to at least say one thing about my Cape Flyer train, because even though we had a difficult year this year, climate affects the trains as well. When the heat is, the heat gets so overbearing, uh, you know, it affects the rails and that sometimes there's speed restrictions which affects people's ability to get to where they need to go. So we look at our entire system and the impacts of climate change and we have to conti continue to, to focus on ways to make uh, things better. And so how does all of this fit into the Commission's Regional Transportation Plan and the Regional Policy Plan and help us achieve those regional goals? It's a great question. The Regional Transportation Plan and the Regional Policy Plan really speak in one voice on this topic. Simply stated in the Regional Policy Plan, the transportation goal is for a transportation system that's safe, reliable, and multimodal. But really, when taken in concert with all of the other goals in the Regional Policy Plan, we see a need for a transportation system that is not car-centric and one that is not focused on personal automobiles, internal combustion engines. So the development patterns that we've seen historically really across this nation have favored um, the personal automobile, and that's really at odds with some of the other visions that we see for our region in terms of preserving the natural environment and the character of the region. 
So some of the focuses uh, in those two plans are really the continued development of community activity centers, areas where there's a concentration of activities and a very walkable area for folks to be able to go and do a number of activities without driving around. So certainly when we talk about investments in these plans, and particularly in the regional transportation plan, it's really about focusing on these areas where there's that walkability and trying to make sure folks can get there by transit um, or can park once and get to a number of destinations. So really it's thinking about the investments that are best for our region um, that kind of support those goals where we can grow in the right locations and preserve in the other locations. And then the other thing I'll add is that these sort of investments are things that work really well in an uncertain future. So there's been a whole lot of uncertainty and certainly recently some real challenges um, in terms of our transportation system being upended. But these investments that we're talking about are investments in walking infrastructure, biking infrastructure, and public transit. And these are things that are going to be important no matter, no matter how our transportation system and our world changes. So really it's about focusing on the investments that meet with the vision of the region and will work no matter what sort of future we're heading towards and really being smart about those investments. You know, in our region we're fortunate, you know, we have a multimodal committee that meets, you know, quarterly to talk with the other modes of transportation to make sure that a, a, a ferry isn't coming in what, five minutes after a bus is pulling out. So there's a lot of communication and the planning of the commission is important that we're all in this together. We've got two new bridges that are coming down the pike. So I think the coordination between modes is critical as well and, and make sure that the efficiencies that we put into place, you know, are always considering the, the impacts of climate change. And certainly looking toward a future where more people will consider uh, regional transit, public transit uh, here on Cape Cod. Well, thank you both uh, so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Good to see you again, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've been talking today with Stephen Tupper, Cape Cod Commission Transportation Program Manager, and Tom Kerr, Administrator for the Cape Cod Regional Transit Authority. We've been talking about adapting regional transit for climate change. I'm Sarah Colvin, Cape Cod Commission Communications Manager, and you're listening to the Cape Cod Climate Action Podcast. Find this and other episodes online at capecodcommission.org.